Thank you for listening to the First Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to all of our Sunday morning sermons. Be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a sermon. Enjoy today's message. up a series today, and I hope that you feel welcome as you come into our house of worship. Whether you're a first-timer or an old-timer, I hope you feel like you're with family, because that's what the way God designed the church. And this is kind of a moment where we get to reset in the year. I, I think that August... When kids start back to school, it's a great time. And, and we see an inflow of people that come, a lot of guests, a lot of first-timers, a lot of old-timers that come back. And then in the new year, in January, we see the same thing. A couple of times a year, we have the opportunity to reset. The big question, though, today is this. And I want you to think about this. Do you remember the last time you were in trouble and you had to ask for help? Do you remember that time? Now for me, tomorrow a welder is going to come to my shop and I have a dump trailer that's been broke down for about two months. Now, if you know anything about me, I'm a do-it-yourselfer, I'm a YouTuber, I'm a Googler, I do whatever to save a buck, honestly. Thank you, thank you. Someone of like mind I know. And so I've come to my end of all the ideas that I have. And I do this at different times. And I spend a lot of money in tools and equipment and time to the point of frustration. And tomorrow, it's going to get fixed. But I came to my end because it's hard to admit that I need help. I want to try everything else. Don't you? And in fact, in AA, the first step is what? Saying that I am powerless. It's out of my control that I need help. 
in an area of my life. Now, if you remember with me, as we've went through this series, the first week we talked about this universal longing and this universal need to have purpose, to have to to be loved, and to have love. To to uh, what I want to say. To now I've forgotten. <laughs> we all need to have a purpose. We not all need to be loved, and that we all need. <laughs> not help. No, we all need help too. Like I said today, uh, it'll come to me in a minute. But but the idea that as this young man, this prodigal, this prodigal was searching for these things, he was searching in all the wrong places, wasn't he? And then last week we talked about how he ended up in the pig pen because of all places that that he was trying to fulfill these universal longings, he 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 kind of came to his senses and he realized that 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 where he was he no longer wanted to be and that was in the pig pen because we all learn the most when we're in the pig pen of our lives. And so he took a moment to reflect, and, and then he realized he needed to take a step back towards home. But we, we learned that probably the reason why it took so long to get back home was this Jewish ceremony called Kezazah. And remember, I broke that clay pot. And if you're joining us online, it was kind of loud and it was kind of startling. And I heard that even the folks in the balcony jumped last week because they didn't expect me to break the clay pot. And so I've got shards of this to remind me that, that unlike the people in that Jewish community that, that were reminding this young man that he had blown everything and that these clay pots would never be restored to what they once were, that God could restore that person and and because of that the father ran to the son so he wouldn't experience kezazah and he threw him his arms around him in love and in approval and in acceptance and that's kind of where we left it but if you have your Bibles today or your tablet or if you're joining us online with the version, or just follow along with the screen. We're going to look at verse 21 today. And, and we're going to see that the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And I, I appreciate the son's speech. We don't hear him say that, but this is what he rehearsed. But, but he's saying, I sinned against God. And, and we've got to realize that our sin is first against God, and then it's against others. When we break a command, and, and he's feeling the shame when he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You see, the son's self-image hadn't caught up to his new identity. And I see this over and over again. And, and I was with my parents a few weeks ago, and we were talking about some things and some church things, and they always ask how things are going. And I, and I filled them in. 
But my dad said this. He said, you know, Chris, you probably know a lot more than that. And I said, yeah, I do. And I'm not telling you. (laughs) Because as a pastor, I I hear some pretty sad things. And people blow it in, in some terrible, terrible ways. But I can smile and say, God forgives. There is hope. God will always love you and throw his arms around you. And this is not how it has to end. And you can have a legacy. And you can make a difference. Because God is a God who heals, a God who restores, who restarts and gives hope and a purpose for all of us. Amen? But the son's self-image had caught up to his new identity because something followed him home, and it was shame that followed the son home. Can you imagine that? That poor young man didn't realize the kind of father that he has. And that's my opportunity as a pastor and as a preacher to say to people, hey, you don't have to carry the shame. When you ask for forgiveness, when you sin against heaven, when you sin against others, when you ask forgiveness, He is faithful and He is just to forgive you. But you're going to have to take a step of faith and take that at His word and realize that. And that's a huge step for a lot of people. When they sin big, they are not sure that forgiveness is as big as what their sin was or is. And guess what? It is. Because Jesus gave his life on the cross for our sins, big or small. And he extends that grace to us. And we've got to realize something, that our shame is different than our guilt. Or shame is different than guilt. Shame is not something that you want to have. Guilt is okay to have as long as you do something about it. Do you realize that? Guilt is a built-in sensor. When I do something wrong, I feel guilty. I hope you do as well. If you're not, you're not healthy. That conscious, that Holy Spirit is inside of you to help you feel that guilt. But But don't give in to the shame. That's a lie from Satan. You see, guilt says, I've done something wrong. Shame says, there is something wrong with me. And this is what the son was experiencing, is the shame. He was still feeling that in his soul. And that's, you may feel that, but don't believe that. Don't let that lie there. Because it's not going to do you any good and those around you. Because God's forgiven you. If you go to the Lord and repent and say you're sorry, ask forgiveness, he forgives. Guilt says what I did wasn't good. You're agreeing with God. Shame says that I'm no good. And that's not the message that God gives to you. He loves you. He made you for a purpose. And he has a plan for your life. And he has hope. For you. Brene Brown is a professor at the University of Houston, 
I've heard her speak before in person, read her books, and I, I like what she says. Shame is an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. It's an emotion that affects all of us and profoundly shapes the way we interact in the world. You either grew up in a grace-based family or you grew up in a shame-based family. You either grew up in a grace-based church or you grew up in a shame-based church. Who are you listening to? And I want to tell you that grace is far better. You see, shame tells us who we were instead of reminding us who we are by God's grace. Satan reminds you of your past. Christ focuses on your future. Your past is behind you. Choose to forget it. Choose to forgive yourself because God already has. You are in the hug. You are in the family if you have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Now, now look closely and Luke chapter 15, verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Why does he do this? Why, Why is he there on the porch of the family home and he's saying, hey, servant, grab the best robe. Grab the ring. In fact, I believe the father probably took the ring off his own hand and also put sandals, put shoes on his feet. Why? Because the robe was a symbol of rest. Where do you rest best? Don't you rest best in your home? In your bed? More than anywhere else? This father was welcoming this son home into rest. Where he had been, there was no rest. There was only activity and lostness. When the father took the ring off his finger and put it on the sons, what he was... What it symbolized was security, but it also symbolized authority. And what the son had squandered away now had become his again because that that ring was a commodity to be traded on because that father had given him financial authority again in his home. And this probably is what threatened that older brother was he was being fully restored, just as we are. And then finally, the sandals were a symbol of acceptance. Now, this is foreign to our culture. Everybody has shoes. But in that time, if you were part of the family, you had shoes or you had sandals, but everybody else was in bare bare feet. And that, that son, that younger son that came home, was probably barefooted, and the father said, put some shoes on that boy's feet because I am accepting him into my family again. A 
so how do we answer the question, how does this relate to us as New Testament believers, as Christians? And I hope if you're joining us online today that you're asking that question, how does that relate to us? What is like that? How does the Father symbolize this reclothing, if you will, this robe, these sandals, this ring today in the New Testament? So I'm glad you asked. If you look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, and I use the English Standard Version. It's one of the closest versions to the original language. But another good version is the New American Standard Bible, which is very close to original language. But look at how each of these translate this verse. In, in the ESV, English Standard Version, it says, As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, you wouldn't know this, but in translation, this put means to put a piece of clothing on. Isn't that funny that Paul used that term? But in the NASB, I believe it's a better translation, which is hard for me to take because I'm an English Standard Version guy. But it says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And I believe that what we see in Scripture that occurs in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 is similar to how we should address baptism as a body. It's a celebration of someone coming home, coming to be clothed in Christ. In verse 23, the father says, Hey, bring the fat calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Have you had homecomings like that? I love to watch military personnel come back from war and, and families celebrate, or the soldier, male or female, as they come back into school and the child doesn't know it, or show up at Christmas or at Thanksgiving dinner, and there's a celebration and there's tears and there's joys because there's a homecoming. Baptism is like that. It's a uniting, it's a clothing of Christ to symbolize the, the acceptance and the security and the authority that occurs. Now in Acts chapter 18, verse 8, uh, the writer of Acts, we believe the physician Luke that accompanied Paul on his missionary trips, writes this. He says, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, and together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. See, I, I believe that Crispus had a side job, a side hustle. His, his other job was Crispus Cream. Or Crispy Critters. Another, yeah, you, you guys didn't like that very well. Oh, well. But here, here is a man who was a Jew, the leader of the synagogue of the Jewish place of worship, and when he put his faith and trust, when he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what did he do immediately? He was baptized into him, into Christ. So the question then becomes, when are you ready to be clothed in Christ? When are you ready to be baptized? When you place your faith and trust in Jesus. Anytime, anyway, we, we keep our baptistry warm and ready at all times. You don't have to be baptized during the service, after service. Anytime you can come and be baptized. The other question I get a lot is, how much water does it take to be baptized? 
Well, in the Bible, it compares baptism to a death and a burial and resurrection. How much dirt would you want to be placed on your dead body? Would you want to be sprinkled, a little bit sprinkled on your body? Would you want it to be poured on your body? Or would you want it to be completely buried in the ground? For me, I'd rather be buried in the ground. Maybe you would too. And so that's why we, we place someone totally, completely under the water and then take them out to, to symbolize that death, burial, and resurrection. In fact, in Acts chapter 8, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, remember Phil, uh, Philip was on the Gaza road in the desert and uh, the eunuch, who was a treasurer of Candace, queen of Ethiopia, Ethiopia was going down the road and was reading a scroll, and it was Isaiah the prophet. And Philip says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, no. And he talked about, he was reading right there in Isaiah 53, where a sheep was to be, to be offered as a sacrifice. And at that moment, Philip explains to, to the eunuch that Jesus Christ had done that for him. And as they were riding down the road, now this is an awkward and not the most conducive opportunity for baptism. But the eunuch said, hey, look, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And they went down into the water and he was baptized and he went away rejoicing. And Philip was beamed to somewhere else. It says that in Scripture. It doesn't say, beam me up, Scotty. But it says that God took him away. And so how much discipleship occurred in that moment? Not a lot. But Ethiopia, a lot of people believe, became a Christian nation because of that conversion experience. Because someone of authority and influence influenced the culture there. So so you might, in, in some situations, sprinkling, pouring, others... others we immerse some baptize or dunk underwater for the Father, for the Son, and for the Holy Spirit like that. The way I do it is I prefer to put them under once and hold them until they bubble. <laughs> so hold your breath. I'm just teasing. I don't want to raise your fear or paranoia any more than that. And the last question is this. Can I come home to Jesus without being baptized? And here, here's how I respond to that. And that kind of breaks my heart because Jesus asked us to do that. And, and the reason why it was that we might be clothed, that we might know him. And it's a matter of obedience. It's, it's to symbolize the death, burial, and resurrection that occurs in our lives. And a, and a friend of mine asked me, he said, well, Chris, in some of the passages, I think baptism is waterless. And I, and I, you know, in some, some situations, I agree. But the point is that Jesus himself was baptized, and so was his apostles, literally, in water. So why wouldn't we do what they did? Amen? And so if you're wrestling with this baptism issue, I would encourage you just to be clothed in Christ. That you've put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus. Go ahead and do it. Why wait? That's just something simple that we can do. And it begins that transforming process of obedient living in Christ that we all need. Amen?
If you would, if you would please stand. I'm just going to say a prayer, and I, I would encourage you to be clothed in Christ. If you're looking for a church home, we want to welcome you home. If you're online and you're still not ready to come in to church, you know, we can baptize you too anytime. And, and, and we just want to encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Eternal God and Father, we are grateful for this day, for this time, for your blessing, for the way you work in our lives. And Father, as we put our faith and trust in you, as we live our lives before you, we thank you for your rest, for your love, for your security, for your acceptance, that we can have a place here on earth that we can call home. And Father, as, as Paul said, that we won't be found naked, but we will be found clothed in Christ, and that we can live and move by your Holy Spirit and worship you. Father, today as those that are, that are making decisions to grow and to, to, to give their lives to you, Father, I just pray that they would do that now. And we just ask you, Lord, that you would move in a powerful way in our lives, that others might know through our attitude, through our action, through our smiles, through our demeanor, by our courtesy, by our civility, that there is a God, there's hope, and it makes a difference in our lives here and now and for all eternity. And Father, we just give you all the praise and all the glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you come this morning?